Hello and welcome to this episode of Thrilled Hill. My name is Alec Perry and this is the Farm Advisory Service series where we discuss the hot topics impacting the farmed upland environment. In today's episode of Thrilled Hill, I'm joined by David Eady, Woodland Specialist for SAC Consulting Limited, for a discussion on tree felling and timber processing. We cover felling permissions, mechanization of the process, restoration of clear-felled sites, and why people no longer have to shout timber. Hi there, David. How are you doing? Not too bad, Alec. Thanks. Good, good. David, for listeners of the podcast who maybe haven't listened to season one of the podcast, um, this is your second time on with us. Can you just give us a bit of an introduction as to who is David Eady and what kind of work are you involved in? Hi, um, my name is David Eady. I'm the forestry consultant based in the Air Office. Uh, I mainly cover everything to do with trees. Um, my main work area is uh, woodland creation. Um, generally new schemes going into the ground also cover some other stuff like uh, plant health notices felling permissions and harvesting of standing timber and you work predominantly across the southwest of scotland or further afield generally just focus in the southwest uh, my patch is in the past has always been sort of the further clyde down and m uh, uh, west so David, last time you were on the podcast, we discussed the opportunities for forest planting and, and creation of woodlands. We wanted to switch topic today, have a bit of a focus on tree felling um, and uh, and some of the requirements around that. There's been a lot of focus on tree planting um, in the past, obviously, but end product uh, processing and timber processing hasn't been something that we've put a real spotlight on. So what are some of the things that people need to be paying attention to, some of our, our farmer listeners, when they're considering forestry in this regard? One of the main things is, typically a farmer will come to me and say, oh, the trees are ready to fell. Um, but that's not necessarily true. Um, all different types of trees grow to a certain point and then they sort of, the volume of timber they put on uh, flatlines. And the opp opportune time is when it starts to level out. Um, a lot of people suggest sort of five or ten years before that, depending on the wind conditions. That's what atypical. So for your standard spruce trees, you're looking at sort of Sitka spruce, you're looking at 50 years. For your Norway spruce, you're looking at 70 plus. Douglas fir, you're looking at about 50 years. Scots pine, you're looking close to 80, 90 years. And then your oak and your beach you're looking at over 150 years. So it just depends on the species you've got there. And David, in your opinion, does felling get enough attention uh, when farmers are considering forestry? Generally, a lot of farmers have uh, shelter belts, and shelter belts can be problematic. Um, particularly, it's the main thing with shelter belts is access. So you need to basically have somewhere that you can stack all the logs next to the roadside. Uh, ideally, you don't want them too far away from roadside, the blocks. Um, so basically anything you do to make it easier for somebody to come in and harvest it and remove the timber basically increases your income back. Okay, so broad picture here, David. Can you just give us an overview of what Scotland's timber processing process is like? Yeah, it's quite straightforward, Alec. You need to have a felling permission in place to 
um, do any filling works. Um, this needs to be given to the person or persons who are going to be filling for you and they won't do it otherwise. Um, an agent can do it or you can do it yourself. If it's relatively straightforward, it's quite a simple process to do yourself. Then depending on the size of the scheme, you might want to go for restocking grant. Um, this is paid per hectare basis. So if it's Sitka spruce, you're only looking at £300 a hectare. And then if it's other species you're going to use, it's £550 a hectare. If you're going to go ahead with a grant, you're looking at ideally more than three or four hectares. Uh, otherwise, it's not value for money because you need to submit a, a management plan to go ahead with it. Um, and then um, people always comment that the grant rates, they're expecting grant rates like woodland creation. The grant rates are considerably less than woodland creation because you're expected to make quite a bit of money for the timber. So your two options for felling is you can get something to fell all the trees yourself, pay them directly, and then you sell the logs and the timber products afterwards, or you sell it standing to uh, one of the various companies that um, will purchase your timber. They will pay the team to harvest it all. They'll deal with all the paperwork and then basically they'll give you a lump sum back. Um, so it's relatively straightforward. And then going forward after that, you might want to leave it fallow for a year to, to settle after it's been felled. Then you're looking at restocking or replanting. Um, so you're basically replanting your two options, depending on the ground conditions, depends on how much money you need to spend. If you're needing to ground prep it, it'll cost you more money. If you don't, then it's all the better. So your better quality soils will less likely need ground preparation done. Also depends on your uh, what the crop has been. So if you've got a crop of spruce, probably the material that's been left, the brash on tops, so the branches and stuff like that, have been left around. So they may cause you issues when you're going in to replant and you might need to brash rake. Uh, and then you would get basically a planter to come in and plant. Generally speaking, you don't um, fence these areas because the fencing will be costed for you to do. Generally, it's done by just shooting. And David, we talk a lot in the office here about conifer and broadleaf plantations. Does felling favour one over the other? And, and if so, why? It sort of goes, thanks, Alec. It goes back to the sort of question about length of time to harvest. Um, our industry has been pretty much set up on in conifer um, and because conifer grow a lot quicker then the harvest is a lot quicker. So for example you can get three rotations of Sitka spruce compared to one rotation of your oak. Um, Sitka will grow in far more poorer ground um, so yeah it sort of, and then the sawmill industry is geared up for spruce and conifer. There are a few speciality uh, hardwood mills around that do still look for hardwood, but the main hardwood industry is sort of in England and Wales. And is that very much market driven, David? What's behind that? It's very much market driven. Um, atypically, English, those areas are historic estates. Um, they are on better quality ground. So, because basically, generally, uh, hardwoods need better quality soils to grow a decent crop. And David, how do you know when a tree has reached 
its felling point? I mean, is that a fixed date as such? I mean, is, is there a, a time window that you need to observe or is it very much um, a decision made by uh, by a site visit and, and uh, you know, a visual analysis? Um, it's all done with what's called a yield class. So different trees get thrown into different yield classes and then you can type it into a system online um, and they will tell you, okay, the tree's X tall. It was uh, planted at a certain age and then it should be felled at roughly approximately X, Y. And by doing so, you can work it out. You might want to fell earlier. Um, for example, if it's heavily exposed to wind or if you want to retain them longer, then that's bent. It's up to you, but it'll take longer time. David, where does where does thinning come into into the felling process? I mean, obviously it's done well in advance of, of felling, but how is that decision taken? Thinning's an interesting one, Alec. It depends on the crop. So, for example, if you've got six roots planted in deep peat, then you would not really thin it because the potential of wind getting in and blowing it all down is quite high. But if you get Sitka or a mineral soil, um, it would be beneficial to thin. So basically by going in and thinning, then you're uh, reducing the pressure on your bigger trees by opening it all up so that they put in put on more increment or growth. And so basically in theory, you should be making more money. It also gives you, usually thinnings also produce some timber return as well. And how many people are normally involved in the felling process, David, when it comes time for that? Typically, um, felling is done, it's pretty much all done by machine now. Um, so there's various big machines that can basically fell a tree, remove all the branches off it, measure, give the operator complete working dimensions of the tree and I'll actually tell the driver what products potentially can cut. Um, so that's called a harvester. And then um, then it chops all in different lengths of different products. So you can have a 3.7 metre log, a 4.9 metre log, uh, a 5.2 metre long log, or a 3.1 metre log. Uh, and then you get chip that's 3 metres, um, pallet wood that's 2.5, 2 metres, 3 metres, depending on what they want. Uh, and then following that, what is had is a forwarder that picks up all these products and then takes them to the roadside and stacks them all in different products. Atypically, depending on how hairy the trees are, the outer trees tend to be hairier. And so to make less stress on the harvester head, there is atypically a chainsaw operator still involved in a lot of sites. And they're basically coming along and chopping all the uh, so what's called sneding is clearing the bottom of the stem for the harvester to grab it or they're actually felling those edge trees so that it doesn't cause too much stress in the harvesting head. So actually we could be undertaking quite a lot of timber felling across a large area but with a relatively small team? Yes, it uh, depends on how it all works. Um, if you're harvesting if you, this is where your distances from the roadside come into play. Um, if your harvester is working quite far away now, 
um, and he's getting far ahead and your forward is struggling because he's travelling an hour to get to the hard standing for dumping the timbers, then you're looking at potentially two forwarders working away to one harvester. Um, and so that increases your cost because they are actually hauling l- more or less competitively than a truck doing it um, and across poorer ground. Um, there's other options as well. After the event, potentially you can look at potentially uh, removing the brash as well or all the branches um, and then that could potentially make you a bit more money as well long term. So very much the idea of, of somebody going out fully kitted up in protective gear and chainsawing um, trees is is very much a kind of historic picture. It's it's not it's not commonplace now. Not commonplace. They do they will use a chainsaw on a lot of hardwood stems because of the value of a hardwood stem and likelihood is they don't want a big machine chopping it down. They want to retain that bottom of that stem without any damage. Um, so they will generally harvest uh, hardwoods with still wood chainsaws. And presumably the kind of increased mechanisation on site will have benefits in terms of productivity, but also safety on site. Yeah, it's far better safer to be in a cab felling a tree than felling on the ground. You've got a lot more protection around you. Does anybody still say timber, David? No. No, that's that's just not a thing. No, it's just not a thing. And David, what administrative considerations are there when you're going into the harvesting process? There isn't really a huge amount of administration involved. You just need to make sure that the health and safety aspect is quite important. Um, you also need to make sure that, that all your services information you have available over your land. So, for example, if you've got a gas main or something running underneath a particular area that the harvesting crew know about it and potentially the protection is in place. Um, you're also, if it goes underneath a track, um, Scottish Gas Networks might insist a concrete slab being put in, in above it because of the weight of the timber coming out. Um, so it's sort of an administration. And then company will give you an Excel spreadsheet confirming what volume of timber or tonnage of timber has come out and then that will give you an indication of how much money you will get returned. So how, how is that established, David? How, how is that measured? It's measured by basically the truck going across a weighbridge and the tonnage being weighed as it goes across weighbridge. It's one of the important things about trying to get trees out of the forest as quick as possible because as soon as they are felled, they're starting potentially losing weight. And is that just is that just water weight, moisture in it's the water. Yes, that's correct. Just water and moisture. Um, particularly if it's a dry summer, um, you'll lose more. And if they've been sitting around for a good few weeks, then that's more of a risk as well. And is a drier timber more difficult to process? I mean, what what's the kind of theory behind that? Yes, pretty much. A lot of the mills are geared up for dealing with different products now, and they will deal with. The equipment's come along a long way, but ideally you're still looking for a a, a wettish log to cut because once it gets dry, it, the blades start to get friction and potentially more issues occurring. 
So when we're thinking about giving people access to farmland to get on and process this timber, what kind of information could the farmer provide that would be helpful to that team? Yeah, the farmers needs to know where the harvester crew can go and where it can't. So for an example, a track that um, they're not allowed to use. Um, but it's also good to know that if a track is used by your neighbour and he needs to use it every every time, then this is not also need to be aware because you need to think about the product height. So you're looking at potentially tree height, uh, tree height. So you're you're excluding potentially quite a bit along that side of that track where the tree would fall. So for example, Sitka spruce can go 25, 28 metres tall. So you're looking at 28 metres plus back from that track that they can't fail because you've said that access needs to be uh, available at all, all, all times. And David, are there any circumstances where felling licences are not required? Where There's two areas. Um, if it's a planning consent, you don't need a felling permission. Um, and the other thing is a statutory plant health notice, which is basically associated with a disease of some description, such as uh, Pytorthur remorum, that's greatly affecting larch in the west of Scotland. So could you just could you just expand on both of them a little, please? Uh, felling um, planning consent is to do with building sites. So it, that um, basically it, planning consent trumps a felling permission. So it's all associated with a planning uh, application, and that is basically where um, forestry doesn't forest Scottish forestry don't play any part in that. Um, the plant health notice is associated with felling trees. And so you can come along and fell. If you've got a plant health notice, you can come along and f you're required to fell it all. Um, and it doesn't require the area to be replanted. And David, so we're, we're on the ground, we're a small team, we're in some big machines, we've just felled a lot of trees, we haven't said timber, but once the timber hits the ground, what, what's the next part of the process? Uh, the timber will be harvested, forwarded from the ground onto the side of the roadside and then it needs to be taken to the end product locations. So in the case of saw logs, we'll go to the saw mill um, and then these will get processed into um, sawn products. Um, you get fencing products that will go, go to a a fencing mill and they'll make fencing material from it and um, and then pallet woods they go to a pallet mill and they'll get all cut up to be made into pallets and what level of involvement do you or or the farmer have at this point does it all kind of take care of itself um if you're doing it as a standing stale then that's all handed over to the person that buys it standing and so they don't you don't need to deal with it they will have they have all there's companies that have all these connections for all these different places and it just makes life a lot smoother because you they will more likely give you get a better price per ton than you do and mm -hmm. um, if you're just joe blogs coming along saying look we've got all this wood i want to sell it to you how much will you give me um and then you don't need to organize the harvesting crew you don't need to 
haul, organise a haulage contractor to pull all the logs out and all the rest. Uh, it just makes life a lot more simpler. And David, one of the criticisms of tree felling, large scale tree felling, is that it can have a, a huge impact on the landscape. Certainly I notice it when I'm out on farm. I'm sure you notice it as well. What happens to these clear felled sites once the timber has been removed? What's the kind of restorative process there? I mean, can we get back to, to grassland with a lot of work or are these areas that need to be replanted? And how, how easy is that? Uh, most of the areas, which like all the areas is going, I think the felling permission have to be quite, uh, have to be replanted as back into trees. Depending on what your requirements are, you can go back into conifer or you can go back into native broadleaves, depending on what your preference is. Um, generally, I had a client recently asking about um, converting a good bit of silage field that was put into shelter belt, and he wanted to convert back to farming and I said yeah that's very well but we need to do an amendment to the felling permission and then also you need to decide where the new bit that the compensatory planting is going because it always has to have compensatory planting unless it's a peat bog of relatively good importance and you can't grow uh, decent trees in it. So what you're saying there, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that once a site has been felled, you don't necessarily need to replant the same site, but the same area must be planted somewhere else? Same area must be planted. Ideally, by the time you've done a scheme, by the time the tree's been in for 50 years, I would question the viability of trying to tidy that up to put it back into um, agricultural use. You're probably better converting it back to keeping it as trees and converting it and just replanting crop again rather than going to another area and having to replant it. And then you also need to remember if you're replanting in another area, you do not get the higher grant rates for woodland creation for it. You only get the poorer grant rates. So it potentially would cause more issues than it's worth. And David, obviously biodiversity decline in Scotland is a big consideration for a lot of people right now. Rightly or wrongly, my perception of conifer woodland is that it isn't as nature rich as your kind of broadleaf forests. Would that be a fair comment? And and do you see people planting or, or replacing conifer woodland with broadleaf? It's an interesting one, Alec. It's... Where pretty much a lot of conifers growing and is in the sort of poorer sites. Um, so you need to have, it's a bit like comparing um, chalk with cheese. Um, your example of Sitka would be better comparing it to a, a silage field crop. So there's very little biodiversity in a silage field compared to species rich grassland um so yes but then as well it depends on the site as well a commercial conifer crop you could if you thinned it out regularly and the soils and the ground conditions allowed you to you could convert to get away from clear felling you can move to more of a um continuous cover 
area. Um, so you're basically all doing small areas, very small areas of clear fell, and then you're getting natural regeneration from the surrounding trees and regenerating them, or you're doing single fell, single tree uh, felling. Um, and so you have a multi-age class of different species of different trees, um, and it sort of ticks them a lot more than the biodiversity box as well. As a layperson, that, that certainly sounds less invasive. It sounds more sustainable. What is the commercial consideration to be made there? The commercial, you're growing trees onto bigger products. You're not having the cost of replanting. There's less chemical use from it because you're basically going in and um, letting nature take its world. Um, you can't add better quality stems like all the improvements with thicker spruce recently um, but you could potentially do a bit of enrichment planting with that sort of species to make it better um, yeah but the managerial side of things it does make life a lot more complicated but it's far more pleasing in the eye if you've got suitable woodland that you can do it and David, are there any particular issues facing the forestry sector in Scotland that uh, that you're looking out for that will be interesting to see how they develop in the future? Um, pests and diseases is always an issue, um, particularly with the most recent ones. Um, you've got the greater spruce bark beetle that's coming into play a lot more. Um, the Pythothrum morum is a disease is supposed to be greatly affecting the west coast um it the work that's been done sort of shows that it will not affect the east coast but we'll just find see how that uh, plays out um the other issues is uh workers uh people with suitable for forest management um courses and stuff like that there isn't the amount of people out there to do these sort of things. Um, forestry is less seen as a nice job role to go into, uh, where there's currently quite high demand. From also the other perspective is where you need a lot of labour is when you're doing planting. Planting trees is still done primar primarily by hand. And so it's a low skill work um, and there's many people in this country that could potentially do it but you're out in the middle of the world in this in the poorest quality of weather planting trees and it's not the ideal job for a lot of people and David just this is maybe a bit of an unfair question, but in the last couple of weeks, we've seen some fairly extreme weather, particularly hitting the east of the, the country. How do you think forestry has held up under those conditions? And is extreme weather something that you have to take into consideration when you're forward planning operations like these? Extreme weather is mainly an issue, particularly with wind. Uh, in the east coast, we've sort of seen that over the last few years. Um, generally. As the trees get older and taller, they get more exposed to wind. Um, and there is, your options are limited. Um, if your ground conditions are right, you could potentially thin and then you could potentially move to a continuous cover 
uh, Forest Dad, and that is more resilient to wind. But it's only if the ground conditions are suitable for such a thing, and they tend to be on the they tend to need to be on the better quality ground. Um, and that's one of the issues. And what about um, what about extreme? flooding david i mean obviously a lot of water can be dispersed across large failing sites in particular is that something that people need to be thinking about when they're putting together proposals for these kind of projects flooding is less of an issue uh, with trees um most trees can cope with um a couple of weeks underwater quite happily um it's sort of longevity and David, are there any particular instances of good practice with regards to felling that you'd like to highlight? Is there any case studies or any particular companies that you think are doing a good job? Um, not particularly. Um, there is always guidance available in the UK. Uh, FS for our standards is always a good start to take forward. Um, and then that sort of goes through a lot of lists. Um and generally just reading it up a bit about how most forestry companies do tour the line and they are and most harvester drivers and forwarder drivers know what they should and shouldn't be doing and most of them stick to the rules and david just drawing the podcast to a bit of a close now how do people get in touch with you and, and how do people reach out um you can easily speak to me through my email address or um, any other forestry consultant, you can just type in forestry uh, management companies or such like, because there is plenty available out there. Okay, doke. David Eady for the Farm Advisory Service. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Alec. Pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Thrill the Hill. If you enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe, and follow this podcast. Leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all our details at the bottom of our show notes below. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.